What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, before we get going, I do want to mention the audio quality uh, might be a bit different than usual, so apologies for that. I got a new computer. The microphone doesn't want to work with the new computer, um, so I'm trying to get that figured out, but in the meantime, have to record um, through a different means here um, in terms of microphones, so uh, the audio may be a bit different if there's any kind of cutting out. Um, apologies for that. Um, doing the best I can do with what I have. Uh, hopefully, you know, this will be a situation we figured out by the time uh, we get to Sunday, but uh, definitely uh, we'll have it fixed by next week for sure. Um, so just bear with me on this one. Um, but no, here recording on Wednesday night. Uh, we just got done with uh, what was a, a heck of a Wednesday battle here. Uh, the first midweek game of the season does not disappoint. This was an absolute battle uh, between Marist and Rutgers. Um, look, you look at the final statistics here. Rutgers, they outshoot Marist 63-48. Uh, Rutgers put 34 shots on cage. Marist had 29 of those shots on cage. The Scarlet Knights, they double up the Red Foxes in the ground ball battle. Um, and you had nine caused turnovers for Rutgers, uh, so 15 turnovers overall by Marist, nine of which were caused. Uh, Rutgers had 13 turnovers, nine of which were caused as well. Um, and you look at the face-off battle, 20 for 27. Jonathan Dujano, um has a fantastic day. 74%, 12 ground balls. Fantastic day from Dujano there. Um, but look, Rutgers, they dominated in all those categories I just mentioned. The face-off dot, the ground ball battle. They took, they practically uh, doubled up the Red Foxes in shooting as well. Um, but it was a 13-10 to 10 victory. Rutgers only gets a three-goal win here, um, and that is a testament to just how gritty of a performance we saw from Marist, and especially how good of a performance we saw from them in the six-on-six, and especially Anthony Novolano in cage. A career day, 21 saves, 13 in the first half, and this was only his first career start with the Red Foxes in college across. Uh, fantastic performance from him. Have to applaud Anthony Novolano here. But you also have to applaud on the Rutgers side. Colin Coast, a career high. He ties his career high. 19 saves to anchor the Rutgers defense. This was a defensive back. This was simply put, this was a defensive battle, uh, but it was a defensive battle that was exciting and fast-paced because these teams were pushing the, pushing the issue time in and time out, up and down the field. You saw there was a sequence late in the game, and, and that is, I, I can't remember who tweeted it. Someone, it was on Twitter, it was, you know, this is why people love lacrosse is for games like this. And this was such an exciting game. 
Um, and it really was. You see all uh, the differences here in the stats, in the final stats, in the stat sheet. You see how much better Rutgers does in various categories. But Marist, man, Keegan Wilkinson, he always has his teams ready to play. This is their first game of the season. I said on Tuesday's podcast, they're going to be up for the challenge. They're going to be hyped and ready uh, for this game because of what happened to them a year ago, only getting to play four games. They were three and one um, last season with that. Uh, it was like an over 30 day COVID-19 uh, protocol pause or whatever. Um, coming out of that, Marist was going to be hyped and you're going up against a number nine team in Rutgers. You know, you want to knock them off and th- they almost did it. Uh, Marist in the second half in the fourth quarter, specifically the final you know, five minutes of the game, they had plenty of opportunities. They had opportunities up and down the field. Uh, first half, second half, they had opportunities to take control of this game. The Rutgers defense, and in particular, Colin Coast was just there uh, when they needed him to be and was able to stifle this Marist offense uh, from you know, clawing all the way back. Um, and look, this was a game that was at the half a 4-3 to three lead for Rutgers. It was a 3-2 game at the end of the first quarter. Um, but, you know, Rutgers, they pulled away a bit in the third, held Marist scoreless while putting it in the back of the cage three times, uh, more midway late in that quarter as the first part of the third was a what you could describe a defensive slugfest of sorts. Um, Marist, Rutgers, they take a seven to three lead heading into the final stanza. Um, Ross Scott, Ryan Sanguinetti uh, get the goals there. Sanguinetti gets two straight, including a man up goal in the third uh, that you know makes it a seven to three lead, and then. Look, you had you had two goals early in the fourth uh, from Vito Musso um, that make it a ten to seven lead uh, there for Rutgers. Musso gets another one. He ends with four on the day. Had himself a fantastic performance. He ends with four on the day. Um, there a three goal, you know, a hat trick in the fourth quarter alone. Um, and then you get Kellen Palila that gets one for the Red Foxes to cut the Rutgers lead to two with, you know, about, you know, three, three minutes left in the game. And, you know, the Red Foxes, they outscored Rutgers five to three in the final period of play, outshot them nine to seven in that period as well. But as I mentioned, it comes down to Colin, to Colin Coast. And Colin Coast, w- when they needed him most, he stepped up offensively for Rutgers. You saw Mitch Bartolo, man. This guy took so many shots, 18 sh- shots. He's he goes three of 18 in shots. But, hey, man, took some good shots there. And uh, as I mentioned, um, Novolano was there a lot of times as well. So you got to give the goalie credit too. But Mitch Bartolo uh, has himself a hat trick, gets a, an assist as well. And two of those came in transition, and this Rutgers offense, 
specifically in the first half, uh, the transition offense was getting going. That NASCAR transition offense was up and running early on in this contest. Uh, really, really looking good, really testing uh, this Marist transition game, which didn't, you know, in front of the cage at least, didn't really have an answer uh, to that transition play from Rutgers. Um, the Marist short sticks didn't do um, all that well, particularly early on. Um, and look, Rutgers, they took advantage w- where they could, when they could, and they end up winning this game. Ross Scott, uh, he had five points, three goals, two assists on the day to lead the way. Um, I mentioned Dujanov, Coast. I mean, this is just a, a overall phenomenal game. Uh, Ethan Rawl, as well as Bobby Russo, having uh, assist there as defensemen taking the ball up the field, uh, getting that assist. I mentioned that NASCAR transition offense that was going for Rutgers. Really, overall, a defensive battle, but you did see multiple, multiple highlight real plays on the offensive end for both ends of these teams, uh, for both these teams. Do want to mention Jamison Embury does go down in the fourth quarter. Apparently, knee injury does not return for Marist. So, you know, wish the best for him. Hopefully, he's back with the Red Foxes on Saturday as they take on Binghamton. Rutgers travels to St. John's on Saturday. Uh, which will be the third game of the season. But for right now, Rutgers moves to 2-0 and on the season, taking down the Marist Red Foxes 13-10. to Defensive, fast-paced, exciting defensive goalie battle on the banks on a Wednesday night. First midweek game of the season, and it does not disappoint. Moving on to the weekend, uh, man, we have got an exciting weekend of college lacrosse ahead of us, and um, you know, and I'll start here. I, I know I talked about some of the Friday games on Tuesday, so we'll start again with the other Friday game here um, that I want to get to, Johns Hopkins and Towson. Um, well, Johns Hopkins, they have a game against Towson on Friday and a game against Georgetown on Sunday. Um, the Blue Jays contest against the top, the Tigers, excuse me, uh, you know, pits them. These are two teams I think is very interesting in this game early on. Both of these teams looking to move forward um, after, you know, not-so-great season to last season. But within those not-so-great seasons, you saw spurts of excellence from these teams. For Johns Hopkins, it was more so at the end of the season – for Towson, you saw that mid-April run where they really, you know, hit it, hit, hit, you know, hit on the gas and did not stop. Um, so really, these two teams, I think, have a lot of potential within the respective conferences to make a big jump from what they were a year ago. Um, and look, this could be turning to be a defensive battle. I don't necessarily think either of these offenses are fantastic. Um, and look, when you look at what you know Johns Hopkins did, I know we talked about their defense a lot, what they did against Jacksonville. And you can say all you want. It's Jacksonville. I understand that. But what they did against them in the second half um, is possibly to show what they could be on the defensive end this season. Um, I do think 
you know, this could be a defensive battle when you look at Kobe Smith, Shane Brennan returning for the Tigers. Um, and and not only those guys, but just the, a lot of players. LSMs, Poles, they've got a lot of depth there, uh, a lot of different pieces they can use there on defense. Towson does. So it'll be interesting to see how that defense works against this Hopkins offense. Jack Keogh, Connor V. Simone were the guys, you know, early on um, in the season so far on Saturday. Five goals, uh, five points for Keogh, four for D. Simone uh, with a hat trick there. Um, and then you look at the other guys just around that didn't maybe contribute all that much. And Joey Epstein had six shots. Um, so many guys, Brendan Grimes, uh, how many of these guys, Peshko, uh, can step up on Saturday, uh, on Friday, if needed. And you know this is going to be um, a loaded week where you have two games back-to-back, uh, essentially, one on Friday, one on Sunday. That's always interesting to see how teams attack your Friday game and then attack that Sunday game as well. Um, I think the one area where you have to look at it, and at least coming into the game, think that Hopkins will probably have a advantage at the faceoff dot. And look, two or three years ago, saying, uh, well, I guess three years ago now, saying that Towson was going to be disadvantaged at the faceoff dot was just ludicrous. Um, you know, nobody, they were the best faceoff guys in the country um, there in Alex Woodall for years. Um, and they've been just absolutely abysmal at that position since his graduation. They were one of the bottom teams in the country for the second year in a row last year in face-off win percentage. Uh, they're going to have to step that up. Tyler Dunn went 11 for 18 at the dot on Saturday against Jacksonville. We'll see him, uh, see with him. And then Logan Callahan also got some run at the face-off dot. See what this Hopkins face-off unit can do against Towson, but you got to think if there's an edge there, if there's an edge that Hopkins can really latch onto, that's what it's going to be. Um, as, as far as the Towson offense goes, you know, they do return um, a good amount of players from a year ago. Um, however, I, I, I will say um, there's a number of transfer guys for this Towson team um, that I'm interested in seeing just exactly, you know, what they're going to look like um, with the Tigers. Uh, you look at a Kyle Berkeley, you look at a, a Anthony DeMeo um, there, not Anthony DeMeo, what is his name? Nicholas DeMeo, excuse me. You look at a Nicholas DeMeo, the younger brother of Anthony DeMeo, um, they're at Towson, and just what some of these guys uh, can do. Um, with this Towson offense um, and James Alvazanto, another Maryland to Towson transfer, um, who's been a one of the top guys um, for the past couple of seasons. But this was a Towson offense that was not that good a year ago. Um, you have to think with DeMeo, Berkeley, some of these guys coming in. I know they've got some Juco guys at the short 60 mid spot. That'll be interesting, as well as on offense. To, it'll be interesting to see what those guys can do. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a Towson team that I'm very much looking forward to seeing exactly what they look like on Friday. And, uh, you know, Hopkins will be a good test. And, and, possible, and you know, this could be a good test game for Hopkins as well 
after you know their game on Saturday, uh, beating Jacksonville eleven to eight. So uh, and look, Hopkins Towson games always seem to be to be pretty tight. Um, no matter you know what what the year is, no matter how each of these teams look. Um, so like yes, it, it is going to be interesting to see this game regardless of the situations, uh, similar or not, that these teams are you know coming to the season with. Obviously, Hopkins, you know, one game in now. After playing uh, Towson on Friday, the Blue Jays will then uh, go on to play Georgetown in what will be the biggest, um, I'd say this is the biggest non-conference test of the season. You look at the Hoyas, bring back the top pole, Gibson Smith. They uh, bring it, you know, Owen McElroy is back in the cage. Will Bowen is there as a North Carolina transfer on defense. Graham Bundy Jr., TJ Haley, Dylan Hess. I mean, this is a this is an offense that's good. This is a defense that's the best in the country. Uh, this Hopkins Georgetown game is really going to be a a, a, a big test, a big measuring stick game, I think, for Hopkins to see just exactly where they are. Um, and you know, when you look at the at the battles in this game, you know, where I'm most interested is probably just seeing um, how this Georgetown defense comes together. Um, when you look at a guy like Will Bowen joining this you know, held a defense that's been a top unit in the past few seasons to see how that goes and then to see how they attack this this uh, excuse me, this Johns Hopkins offense. We do have a number of different options. We saw last year you had different guys that would step up at different times, uh, whether it be a Joey, uh, a Joey Epstein or a Connor DeSimone, a Jack Keogh. You have guys that will step up at different times, um, a Jonathan Peshko, know, how they will attack that that unit. And then, look, I mentioned on Saturday, we saw it was a good showing for the Hopkins defense. What can they do? You know, we, we'll see them against Towson on Friday, and then we'll see them, I think, against the, well, a, a much, much better offense on Sunday against Georgetown. So overall, just at every single position, um, this will be a test, a measuring stick game for the Blue Jays on Saturday. Moving on to some other games here. Um, Look, this one, I I don't really expect anything but a win from the home team. Um, But the bigger story is what's going on around the program. Gary Gate begins his head coaching, men's head coaching era at Syracuse on Saturday, when they take the field against Holy Cross in the Carrier Dome, Dave Petromala, obviously, as the defensive coordinator, it's a stellar staff that is up there in Syracuse. They make their debut. Obviously, Pat March being retained from the prior staff. Uh, they make their debut on Saturday against Holy Cross. And this is the start of a new era of Syracuse lacrosse. Um it truly is. It's the start of a new era. Um, and look, I think this is a game they should win. They should win big. Holy Cross, yes, you have some great players, A.J. Fox and Cage uh, especially. But 
Syracuse, just top to bottom, is a much more talented team. Um, Personnel-wise, I'm looking to see Bobby Gavin probably going to be the starter in cage. We'll see how that ends up. Um, and then also offensively, um, when you look at Tucker Dordovic, Owen Seabold will be the two top guys there. Obviously, Owen Hiltz is going to spend some time out with that upper body injury, it appears. Uh, so we you know, likely won't see him in this game. I uh, did not know this. Uh, if you did not hear this, Owen Hiltz sustains an upper body injury against Michigan in late January. Um, he had 29 goals, 19 assists as a freshman last year. Was their top returning point getter. Um, Tucker Dordovic moved to attack. Will be running there with Siebold. And then hopefully Hiltz, when he comes back, um, if he comes back, uh, hopefully he comes back this season. Um, but obviously he will not be there against Holy Cross on Saturday. It looks like returning from that or recovering from that injury. So those are just some kind of you know, tidbits I'm looking for there in Syracuse. I really don't expect anything, um, you know, major to happen in this game. Um, you know, like I said, A.J. Fox is probably the number one guy to know for Holy Cross. Um, and then, obviously, the, the goalie position at Syracuse will be interesting to see. Bobby Gavin, Virginia transfer, likely the starter offensively. Got some, got a new look thing going on there. Um, and the, the the biggest storyline of that game is the coaching staff. And obviously, you know, the notable name there, Gary Gate and Dave Petramala on the sidelines of Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. The next marquee game, the next game to get to is the marquee one of this weekend. It is Maryland. It is Loyola. This is the fifth time, or I think, yeah, the fifth time, fourth time these programs have met uh, in my lifetime since 1998. Actually, the third time in third time in my lifetime. I was born in August of 1998, so this will be the third time in my lifetime, fourth since 1998, and only the sixth time since 1959 these two programs have met. This very well could be a NCAA tournament uh, matchup preview with both of these teams uh, being expected to sit near or at the top of their respective conferences when all is said and done. Maryland is coming off a 21-13 win over High Point where you know we saw an offensive show from the Terrapins. Logan Wisnowskis, eight points, five goals, three assists. Leading the way there, Keegan Kahn, six six points in that one, four goals to assist. Owen Murphy, Jonathan Donville, fellow transfers there, getting in on the action. Eric Malver getting in on the action as well. Um, for me with Maryland, I'm just want to see how this Maryland defense holds up because look, High Point is a great offensive team with Ashley Nolting and Brendan Braden Maia, and they did some damage. They were able to get. On the inside, now it wasn't often because they didn't have the ball too too often, but they were able to get on the inside, get some of those goals around the cage that Maya likes to get. Um, Nolting was you know, just throwing dimes everywhere um, when they had the opportunity to. Um, this is obviously a much better face-off situation 
with Bailey Savio versus Luke Weidman. That's going to be a much better uh, competition at the dot. Um, I think Loyola certainly is going to have more possession time than we saw with High Point in that game a week uh, a week ago. So, how does this Maryland defense that we you know wasn't tested a ton? Um, how does this Maryland defense respond to uh, the first big offensive threat of the season? Um, and you know, Kevin Lindley, Aiden Olmstead running things there on the offensive end. And look, this is a, a Loyola team overall that I expect to be clicking on all cylinders uh, much more often than they did a year ago. We saw all the inconsistencies from them last season. They were, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they, they were just watch that first game against Richmond and watch that last game against Duke. Um, it, it's completely different teams, completely different teams. They went through so much, you know, last season. Um, and with you return all these guys back, I mentioned Lemley and Olmstead running things on offense. Ryan McNulty at the awesome spot. Sam Schaefer there on defense. Um, and then look, this short 60 mid spot is going to be strong again. Uh, obviously, Mustang Sally, you know, being the notable name and the best name in college across, I would say, uh, there at the short 60 mid spot, transferring in from Richmond where he had success. Uh, the prior two seasons there. So this game, man, it, it, it's the game of the week. It, it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's on the Big Ten Network. So, you know, hit the DVR uh, if you can. You want to watch this over again because um, I'm expecting a big one from this one. And as I said, this very well could be an NCAA tournament matchup preview uh, with how good I expect both these teams to be. Um, I did have both of these teams in my uh, 2022 preseason championship weekend picks as well, if y'all did not see that. So possible matchup between championship weekend teams, if you will, um, at least based on what I've picked so far. So uh, I mean, this is going to be, be a fantastic game, the game of the week, uh, without a doubt. All right, folks, before we get out of here, um, Want to mention? Want to mention some other games to watch this weekend? Vermont and Utah, um, the best mid-major game of the week. I'll say that up front: the best mid-major game of the week. Um, Vermont coming off a fifteen to seven loss to Duke, which they gave Duke a lot of trouble for the majority of the game. Wasn't until kind of late when Duke took over. Um, really, that third quarter where they were able to pull away. You know, Ryan Cornell went. Just bananas in cage. Tommy Burke, you know, really was able to keep them in the game as well at the faceoff dot, 68%. And the Catamounts looked good in the middle of the field, were able to get some opportunities there. Similarly, Utah, they lost to Denver 14-13 to over the weekend. And uh, look, they showcased a new look, fast-paced style. Out west, Jordan Hyde, four goals, one assist, was absolutely slinging them um, against the Pioneers. This is a game I'm, I think we're going to see a lot of action in the middle of the field, just like we did in both of their games over the weekend. Uh, Penn State and Villanova, the Wildcats and the Nittany Lions and Wildcats have met nearly every year since 2005 and done so 
in February each year from 2015 to 2020. That trend is continuing. You know, Penn State, they're coming off that win over Lafayette. We saw, you know, Kyle Aldridge lead the way, two goals, three, two goals, three assists. You had six goals scored by freshmen, 14 points overall by freshmen. A new look kind of Penn State. There were a lot of youth coming in there. Villanova side, you have a lot of transfers highlighting JP the Seal from Duke and, and multiple other guys coming in and highlighting this Villanova team. So new faces all around in this one. Matt Campbell, midfielder, Will Vitton, goalie, and then SSDM, Chet Camizio, uh, really the only uh, notable returners for Villanova. Denver and Air Force. Uh, look, Denver, they skimmed by Utah a week ago. Um, now they face another Rocky Mountain foe in Air Force. And Air Force, they coming off a game in which they gave Virginia some trouble in the first half. We'll see how things go this time around against another, you know, top 25 team uh, for the Falcons, Delaware and Mount St. Mary's. This is going to be interesting. Delaware just blew NJIT out of the water as expected. Mike Robinson, 10 points in that game. Excuse me, nine, nine points in that game. There six goals, three assists. And then on Mount St. Mary's end, you had a fantastic defensive uh, showing against Navy, 21 saves there. Four, uh, what's his name? Griffin McGinley, uh, was escaping me for a second, but Griffin McGinley uh, there in cage in his first career start. How does that Mount St. Mary's defense do against that Delaware offense? And also, Matt Kilkeely, this uh, Delaware defense, not too shabby either. The last game that I want to go over here with y'all, um, Robert Morris versus Bucknell. The Colonials and the Bison, a good old Western Pennsylvania battle. We saw RMU play against Duke on Friday last week, and we saw Bucknell play against Mercer on Saturday. Uh, Bucknell got the 16-14 to win. You saw Connor Davis with six goals, a freshman there, Connor Davis, six goals in that game. Cam Doolin, another freshman, dishing out five assists in that win. Really good output for those two guys, especially. Um, and what Frank Federaca always has teams that are ready to bounce back after, you know, not so good years, which last year was, uh, you know, in part for Bucknell. Did have some decent wins, did have some decent performances. You look late in the season against Navy was a loss, but they stuck with him for most of the game there. But this is going to be a gritty uh, Bucknell team, a feisty Bucknell team. I think this season, we see that every couple of years, probably going to be again here with the Bison and Connor Davis, Cam Doolin, you know, highlighting things right out of the gate. Uh, for the Colonials, you know, first year for Craig McDonald there, um, and we saw them play a pretty solid game, a respectable game against Duke. Um, you know, you lose that game. You lose that game, and it was, uh, wasn't was necessarily a close one. I can't recall the score, but it wasn't necessarily a close one. Um, but you did have Taggart Clark, five points there. 
four goals, one assist. Uh, Quoson Keeley had a hat trick there and an assist. Um, with this one, you know, I, this could be an offensive showdown uh, out there in Western PA this weekend. So, um, I, you know, I'm expecting an offensive showdown in this one. I I haven't been able to see enough of these teams to see exactly what the defenses are like. Look, obviously, all of you played a week ago, but like you play against Duke and, and that offense for for, for RMU and this kind of new look RMU team, it, I, I don't think you get the best gauge of what the Colonials defense is going to look like going up against such a such a powerful offense in your first game. And then for Bucknell, that game was not streamed, so all we have to go off of is statistics and um from what we've seen so far, it was an offensive heavy game there for the Bison when you look in the box score, but you know, don't want to make any assumptions or any predictions off of a off off of a lone box score here. So uh gonna be an interesting one there up in western Pennsylvania. Uh before we get out of here just want to go over the schedule here, see if we have any other games. want to mention um, I will be at the Bellarmine-Marquette game on Saturday at noon, uh, so that should be an interesting one, I think. Um, oh, Army and UMass. So Army, obviously, Brendan Nicktone back, Marcus Hudgens, bunch of guys back for that uh, Wyatt Schuppler and Cage. Bunch of guys back for the Black Knights on really both ends of the field. And then for UMass, you know, this is a UMass team that really disappointed a year ago, I would say. Really was a disappointment. Uh, Probably the most underachieving team in the country when you think about it. Came into the season uh, expected to be the most talented team in the CAA, they end up doing not much of anything. A 4-6 season, 4-6, and six, a losing season at UMass. Um, only the sixth in Greg Canella's 27 years at the helm. But they return a lot. Kevin Tobin, Gabriel Prosek, Dylan Arendt, Zach Coachman at the faceoff dot, Adam Toey at close, Matt Noten cage. You get James Cadigan and Logan Leisureberg. Two uh, good transfers in there offensively. That should be a decent one there. Army and UMass, Boston U and Merrimack. Those are two teams I'm thinking. You know, they've had some youth the past couple seasons. We saw Merrimack lose narrowly to Hofstra. Boston U uh, has some good pieces back offensively there as well. Um, Timmy Lay, especially. We'll see how things go in that one. Providence and Bryant, all well, look, Providence is not what they have been, um, but it's an Ocean State Cup game. Obviously, Bryant, Marco Vork, uh, and those guys back, bringing back pretty much everybody uh, off that NEC title, uh, title team from a year ago. So we'll see how things go there. Uh, let's see, any... Other ones that interest me here. No, not really. Well, Virginia High Point. Um, no, 
didn't want to talk too much about that one. I kind of expect it's going to be similar to what we saw. I don't think it's going to be a blowout um, of the proportions of what we saw, High Point and Maryland. But, you know, Virginia, they seem to have kind of all the ducks in a row um, after what we saw a week ago. Connor Schellenberger going off, Xander Dixon, a bunch of different guys getting in there, Matt Moore. Um, and then that ride, I think that ride, I, and, and, and High Point, they've had issues over the past couple of seasons in the middle of the field. Going, to get, going up against that Virginia ride, knowing what they did against Air Force a week ago, um, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to see High Point really testing Virginia like they have in the past. Uh, but, you know, Asher Nolting, Braden Meyer, good players, who knows. Uh, Parker Green, solid play in cage. You know, who knows? This is college across. Anything can happen uh, pretty much at any time. So, you know, we'll see how that one goes. But I would expect Virginia to win that one um, by at least five goals. So that's all we got for today's show. Again, apologies for the audio. Uh, stupid microphone does not work with the new, uh, doesn't want to work with the new computer. Should work, doesn't want to. Um, so we'll get that figured out, uh, and hopefully next time we'll be uh, better on the audio front. Uh, so again, apologies there for that. As always, thank you all for tuning in. You can connect with us on social media, at Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com is the website. See you all on Sunday for a full recap of the weekend's action. Until then. Enjoy the lacrosse.